0: Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong, back with you for information, observation, opinion, and bits of history. We're going to talk about some things today. You ever heard of Jim Crow? I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. We're going to have a guest later in the show, Lisa Denhofer, who's going to talk to us about bullying and sexual harassment in the workplace, maybe a way to get rid of it. But let's jump right into things. Have any of you out there noticed that President Trump's verbal assaults against African-American reporters, candidates lawmakers and athletes are cloaked in the language that characterizes African-Americans as unintelligent, untrustworthy, and unqualified. Yes, I've seen it. May perhaps you have too. An opinion writer for the Washington Post, Colbert King, writes, when it comes to dealing with African-Americans, Trump adheres to the racial etiquette of Jim Crow America. For Those of you who don't know about it, the Jim Crow system of racial segregation, in addition to anti-black laws on the books, dedicated or dictated rather that the rituals of behavior that black people were expected to follow, how to act, how to speak and behave in the presence of white people and Jim Crow racial etiquette prescribed the manners and attitudes that whites were to adopt when interacting with blacks. Jim Crow, racial, etiquette rested on the conviction that white people were superior to blacks in intelligence, social status, and all other things. Hence Trump's way with black women and men. I don't like it. I don't care for it at all. He is a divisive person, and he's doing this to play to his base. Now, here are some of the types of behavior our president has been using. Here's something from the old Jim Crow book. Never treat black people as equals. Don't let them think for one second that they are anything other than second-class Americans. The means of getting that point across, followed faithfully by President Trump, is the use of his words, words that convey disrespect words that are put-downs, words that make it clear that black people, regardless of rank or station, must never assume an air of equality with a white man like him, must never impute that a white person is dishonorable, lying, or capable of moral corruption. Yep, those are some of the old-time rules. You want some examples? I've got some. I've been watching TV news, watching President Trump and his news conferences and things like that, you, all of you may have seen a week or two ago, just before he flew off to Paris to attend the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, Trump made a response to a well-grounded question by a seasoned CNN correspondent. Her name is Abby Phillip. She's a graduate of Harvard. The question was, do you expect for Whitaker, his acting attorney general, to stop the Mueller investigation. Mr. Trump said to her, what a stupid question, but I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. Now, that was just uncalled for. After the midterm elections, the Wednesday after that Tuesday, at a news conference at the White House, President Trump ordered American Urban Radio Network's April Ryan, an African-American, to sit down. Outside the White House the next day, he called her nasty and a loser. And then there was Trump's description this past summer of CNN's veteran TV host Don Lemon, who's African American. He called him the dumbest man on television and said Don Lemon makes LeBron James look smart. Nasty. Nasty. He's the nasty one. Let's go further. Former Trump aide Omaroso Manigault Newman, according to President Trump, is a dog. Of all the words from which to choose, Trump declared Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. She was a magna cum laude graduate of Spelman College. She received a Master of Public Policy at the University of Texas. She received her law degree from Yale Law School. She was an attorney for 10 years in Atlanta. She served in the Georgia House of Representatives, including a stretch as minority leader. And Trump says she's not qualified to run for governor of the state of Georgia. Many times you heard President Trump say Maxine Waters of California. She's a congressperson and a senior House Democrat, said she's a low-IQ person. Now, these things are not necessary, and they're not true. There's another one that got to me. Mr. Trump has said that the Florida gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Gillum, is a stone-cold thief. Now, you've heard these examples. This is what Jim Crow etiquette prescribes. Belittle and demean black people. Put them in their place. Make it clear that they are not equal socially, morally, or brain-wise. And it demands that whites never treat blacks with courtesy lest they get the wrong impression and start acting uppity. The only conduct allowed for blacks, when in the company of whites, is to be agreeable and undemanding. So where did Trump get all of this racial ad- adequate. We know he doesn't read. We know he doesn't know much about history. I think it comes from his family. They were racist, and he is racist. Now, again, I don't know the man, but I know what he says. He's supposed to be our leader. He's a president, but he acts more like he's playing for the Russian team than ours. Here's a little brief history of Jim Crow. Jim Crow has long been a derogatory slang term for a black man, making it a fitting name for the laws that were in force in the South and some border states from 1877 through the mid-1960s. These laws, of course, were in place to maintain racial segregation after the Civil War ended. Initially, Jim Crow laws required the separation of white people and people of color on all forms of public transportation and in schools. Eventually, the segregation expanded to include interaction and co-mingling in schools, cemeteries, parks, theaters, and restaurants. Often anyone who was suspected of having a black ancestor, even just one in the very distant past, was considered to be a person of color and therefore subject to Jim Crow laws. The overarching purpose of Jim Crow laws was to prevent contact between black people and white people as equals, establishing white people as above black people. But again, where did Jim Crow and this name come from? Let's go back to 1830. In the United States, there was a man by the name of Thomas Darmuth. Rice. As a matter of fact, his full name was Thomas Dartmouth, and his nickname was Daddy Rice. He was an actor and musician in a minstrel show. He created what was called the Jump Jim Crow Act. This is where he put on blackface. He had other people in his troupe who put on blackface and aped supposedly... What black people did. He showed his black characters as dim witted, buffoonish, and lazy. All of this was to heighten white supremacy in the United States. Now this went on for years. eighteen thirty is where it started, and there were many, many people who imitated Thomas Dartmouth Daddy Rice. Into the 20th century, Jim Crow laws continued to govern everyday life in America, prohibiting black and white interaction. For instance, in the state of Georgia, blacks and whites had to use separate parks. Blacks and whites could not play checkers together in Birmingham, Alabama, under a 1930 law. And in 1935, blacks and whites were forbidden from boating together in the state of Oklahoma. Black people who violated these laws could be physically beaten by whites without reprisal. Lynchings occurred with startling frequency when blacks violated these Jim Crow laws. When World War II erupted and the United States entered the conflict, Jim Crow laws were still in force. Racial segregation was an integral part of society, and in some parts of the country, black people served in segregated military divisions. Black servicemen were given lesser support positions such as grave digging and cooking. They were served food in separate lines from the white servicemen. At first, black servicemen did not engage in combat, but as the war went on, increasing numbers of black people were placed in front-line positions where they served with distinction. After the World War II, after it ended, America's segregation policies were put under the microscope. President Harry Truman created a committee to investigate the issue, and in 1948, President Truman issued an executive order that eliminated racial discrimination in all of the military branches. The tide began to turn noticeably noticeably toward equality in the following years when a series of Supreme Court victories for civil rights We're afoot. Black people finally began breaking down racial barriers and challenging segregation with success. And the pinnacle of this effort was the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This act abolished all Jim Crow laws in the United States. The law outlawed discrimination in any type of public accommodation. So again... Trump never read these rules because he doesn't read, he doesn't know about history, but it certainly seems to be with us, and he is using this to drive wedges between people and to send messages to his base. I don't like it, I don't accept it, and I don't think that these Jim Crow laws, or adequate as they call it, should come back in vogue. President Trump should be ashamed of himself denigrating any people. But there's something wrong. Something wrong with him. He is not playing for our team. You know, there's an author who wrote a book back in 1948. He titled it 1984. It was a book about what the future may be like in a land where there was no democracy where language was used in ways that were untrue. An example, peace meant war. Good was bad. Love was really hate. President Trump says he wants to make America great again. It seems as if he's making America less great and less democratic. It's very dangerous, folks. So I say to you, that Trump's rules of etiquette come straight to us out of the Jim Crow playbook. Now you know a little bit about it. It's not good. This is Birdsong. You've heard my opinion and a bit of my history. There was a governor's race in Georgia. Most people know about it. Stacey Abrams was... Uh, the first woman to run for governor in the state of Georgia. She did not win. As a matter of fact, her, her opponent in the race was Brian Kemp. He was the secretary of state of Georgia and he ran for governor. He did win. And, uh, a few days ago, Miss Abrams conceded the race to him saying that he is now the governor-elect, but she doesn't think the law has been, had justice done to it. She says that she will recognize him as the governor-elect, but she will not say that his election was not tainted, was not disenfranchising of thousands of voters, and was totally unfair She had hoped to become the nation's first female African-American governor, and she accused Kemp of widespread voter suppression and said voting irregularities tainted the election. The The accusations had special sting because Kemp, as Secretary of State, was essentially the referee in a race he was involved in. Last uh, we hear that Miss Abrams has now planned to bring a major federal lawsuit against the state of Georgia for gross mismanagement of the election. She also says she plans to seek office again. Mr. Kemp and Abrams had clashed clashed over voting rights for, in Georgia for years. Kemp had pushed for restrictive voter identification and registration laws that had purged more than a million voters from the rolls. Seventy percent of these African-Americans purged from the rolls. Several of the laws were successfully challenged in court, which said they were violations of the Federal Voting Rights Act. Kemp, in a statement issued last Friday by his spokesman, spokesperson Ryan Mount. In a statement issued Friday by spokesman Ryan Mahoney, Mr. Kemp praised Abrams, quote, passion, hard work, and commitment to public service. He went on to say the election is over and hardworking Georgians are ready to move forward. We can no longer dwell on divisive politics of the past, but must focus on Georgia's bright and promising future. But even in in conceding, Ms. Abrams shot back with claims of dirty dealing. She says to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state badly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of people's democratic rights has been truly appalling. She will never see him as the legitimate governor of the state of Georgia. This is Birdsong. Listen to my opinions my observations, and a little of my history. Stick with us. There's more. We'll be talking to Lisa Denhofer after this message. Birdsong back with you on the radio. We've got our guest coming up. Her name is Lisa Denhofer. She's the crisis. She calls herself the crisis tamer. She works with subject matter and circumstances most people turn away from. She mentors companies past crisis and traumatic events, including active shooters and workplace violence, bullying and sexual harassment and unintended outcomes from disastrous communications. Lisa is a certified thanatologist. For those of you who don't know what that big word means, it means she's a grief counselor. And she knows about death and dying and consoling people. She has been a communications expert with over eighteen years of experience, training, consulting, coaching, and speaking. She is also the founder and president of Coden Consulting Services. Lisa, welcome to Birdsong.
1: Thank you
0: so much, Leonard. Lovely to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you on. You are, have done so much in your time, and you've, you've, you've told me so much of what you've done. I can't get it all in, but well, let's talk, talk about bullying and sexual harassment right now. I know that's what you wanted to talk about today. How do we identify it? How do we identify bullying and sexual harassment in the workplace?
1: Well, that's a really good question, Leonard. Often people don't know if what they're experiencing falls under those categories or not. So let me help define uh, both. Um, sexual harassment is a form of bullying. It's an extreme form of bullying. But let's t- take a look at bullying for a moment. Some of the behaviors of someone who bullies someone else, uh, shaming and humiliation actions, different treatment for different employees, Uh, Deliberately putting an employee in situations beyond their training or skill set. Sabotage of an employee's work or character, undercutting them. Trash talking of an employee to their peers or superiors. Mean girl behavior, and the women out there will know what I mean by that. Intimidation, passive aggressive behavior, gaslighting, uh, hostility or threats about loss of job or demotion or pay docking, disempowering actions, going after someone, isolating them, Freezing them out or shunning, depriving someone of necessary information or tools to perform uh, their job, explosive rage, rage impulsivity, resulting in people having to walk on eggshells around that person, uh, and deliberately making goals a moving targets so meeting those goals become impossible. These are all bullying behaviors, and oftentimes they are expressed in a constellation, meaning several of them at once, which is what makes bullying um, is so traumatizing because they're coming at you from all different angles. Now, when we look at sexual harassment, um, it, it's a little bit, um, th- the behaviors are similar, but in some ways different because there's a sexual overtone. And very often we'll see um, those who perpetrate sexual harassment as grooming their target to establish trust, a sense of, of the target being special, uh, of having a, a more intimate relationship and separation from their peers. And, and an insinuation that there will be professional advancement uh, as a result of Participating in this inclusion in meetings or uh, events that go way outside the pay grade uh, of that em- uh, employee. Um, well, well, let let me stop you here. This, over- is,
0: this is a whole mouthful and it's more than I expected, but you know, you're telling us good stuff. But what is the why? Is it about power? Is that why people do this? Yes, it's a power move
1: for very specific outcomes from that target Um, and people who perpetrate bullying and sexual harassment um, are after power but they're also after what they want to get from that target and it may be a feeling of superiority over that target that you can direct that person's life or in the situation of sexual harassment uh, it is to get some kind of sexual engagement uh, with that individual whether it be uh, just verbal or in actual Uh, sexual acts from that person, uh, making that target feel as though they can't say no.
0: Well, you've worked with companies, and you know about people who abuse and who harass. What do the companies think about this? I mean, do they have a way of stopping this kind of activity? They do,
1: but they rarely do what is really necessary in order to stop and prevent
0: Just about every employee. That's what I want to hear. What does it really take? What does what is needed?
1: Well, just about every employee handbook that you read, you'll see phrasing in there that there's a zero tolerance policy for violence. Which, by the way, bullying, sexual harassment is horizontal violence. Violence is not always just about physical harm, but psychological harm as well and that's according to the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. But you'll see phrasing in employee handbooks that say, we don't tolerate people intimidating or creating hostile behaviors or environments, but actually they tolerate it all the time with the way they manage and handle when complaints come forward. And a great example of that is the treatment of those who have been charged with sexual harassment or extreme bullying, and they walk out of these... Uh, companies with huge exit packages.
0: Yeah, well, golden par- golden parachutes they're called, huh?
1: Well, the golden parachute is really for, you know, senior leadership for a job well done and things like that. Exit packages, severance package. Um, people who were in Google, um, Andy Rubin walked out, uh, with a $90 million exit package, even after Google's investigation of sexual harassment claims against him were found to be credible.
0: Yeah, I heard that. i heard, heard about that case. There was a big walkout so, out in Google not too long ago. So-
1: when companies say that they don't tolerate this behavior, but then a perpetrator is rewarded on the way out, oftentimes companies will continue to do business uh, as a consultant, as an independent contractor with people who are asked to leave. So they're still exposing employees to these same people.
0: Well, that's, that's a shame. What, what do, can you do or what do you do as a person working with a company to get them on the right track and perhaps get the bad people out?
1: Well, when I go into a company, when I get called in because there's a problem with uh, bullying or sexual harassment, and by the way, a lot of times I get called into a company being told that there's a problem when I find out that there's really a different kind of problem creating the outcome, and that problem is misconduct, bullying, and sexual harassment. And what I do is I work with companies to make their culture inhospitable to abuse, so that cannot thrive. I work with companies through training and other methods to create a systemic allergic response to when abusive behavior happens. And that happens through training by empowering bystanders and targets with tools so that they can actually perform what they're trained to do. And I work with HR to create policies that will protect bystanders and targets when they actually facilitate this training. I do complete assessment top to bottom, looking at the culture, looking at stakeholders, looking at leadership. I try to identify empathy deficits, um, social capital deficits amongst employees. These are all drivers of abusive behavior uh, and work with companies to address those issues and, of course, work with HR so that there is an alignment between what is senior leadership saying they want to do about this, the training that is provided, and then the protection to actually move forward doing what stakeholders learned in training to once and for all eliminate abuse in the workplace or to stop it from thriving.
0: Makes sense. When you get a contract or you get a a client to do this, how long does this take? How long does the the work take to get the things back in order. It all depends on
1: the level of the problem. You know, how long has this been going (laughs) on? How many people are involved? How big is the company? Um, Every piece of work that I do is very customized to the problem, to the company, um, to the target population. So... There's no cookie-cutter formula here. Uh, I have to go in and really co-create a solution with the company to address what these problems are. But it always starts out with a very thorough assessment uh, before I can then recommend, okay, this is the way to go, and this is what we need to do, and this is the manner in which you know, you'll know you get your re- results.
0: Well, let me ask this. Is there an aftermath to workplace abuse? That is, Is it enough to just get rid of the abuser or the harasser? No.
1: That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, A lot of companies assume that if they get rid of the perpetrator, the abuser, that that makes everything okay, and I'm here to tell you it does not. That abuser has created damage, and their departure uh will hopefully eliminate any further damage from abuse. However, it does not heal the damage that's been done. So there needs to be a whole different type of uh, address to healing the trust that has been betrayed, uh, to establishing an environment of safety where p- people feel safe coming to work, and that the culture is now healthy and does not tolerate that kind of behavior so that people can thrive, so that the workplace is not just a place where people survive, but they actually thrive.
0: Well, let let me ask this, Lisa. Is this phenomena brought about by the fact that there are more women in the workplace now?
1: No. No. Uh, and thank you. That's a good question, too. That's often thrown out there as, well, this is happening because more women are out there and there's a resentment. This is happening because of the culture of the organization. And workplaces are a microcosm of the larger culture in in which we reside. Um, Our country by nature is very aggressive. We embrace aggression. Um, It's often depicted in our entertainment. Aggression is depicted in competition. We would rather watch and engage in competition than collaboration. This is very definitely about culture. And for historically, cultures have been set... Um, by male-dominated uh, senior leadership. And there's been an assumed dominance uh, of male and male-dominated leadership in the, the TV series Mad Men. We saw that play out. And when we watch it today, we, we look at sexual harassment at that time with, with absolute horror, but it was very commonplace. Yep, we yep, have yep. To- through a cultural shift, culturally in our in our country as a whole, as well as in our workplaces, that everybody has dignity and that everybody in a company um, is allowed and has the right to work without being um, harassed or having to stay quiet when they are on the receiving end of abuse.
0: Yes, that's very well spoken. Lisa, how can people contact? You've got a website, got an uh, email sure do you'd like to give uh, us? They,
1: they can go to Coden, that's K as in kangaroo, O, D as in diamond, E, N as in Nancy. Coden Consulting Services, uh, www.codenllc.com, and they can reach me uh, at Lisa, L-I-S-A, at codenllc.com.
0: All right, then. Well, thank you so much for coming on with Birdsong. This is some very interesting news. I, You know, I think I told you that the Google walkout, my son lives up in Mountain View. He doesn't work for Google, but that's his home, and he was certainly well aware of that big walkout a week or two ago. That was something. Yes, and that is a
1: great example of the cultural shift that is happening. Uh, 3,000 people just in New York City were protesting, but there were protests in Google offices all over the world. And one of the reasons why these people were protesting is not only because sexual harassment has been happening at Google, and Google admitted that 48 people had been fired in, the, in two years for sexual harassment, but... The types of exit packages that people were being given, especially the one that I talked about earlier, uh, after it was found that these charges were credible, you're really not, you're you're rewarding somebody um, going out the door, you're firing them, but you're rewarding them for things and conduct that you say in your handbook is not tolerated and allowed. And for a company like Google, their branding is all about innovation and being very progressive. And that means that they're looking for stakeholders, they're looking for employees who are progressive and innovative and creative. Well, younger people today who want to work at those companies are not going to tolerate it anymore. They're coming from a different cultural background. And so the way these things are handled needs to start becoming aligned with the people that they're hiring.
0: Alright, well thank you very much Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on Birdsong. We'll be talking to you again as things go on, okay?
1: Thanks so much Leonard. Lovely, lovely being on your show.
0: Same here. Bye bye. This is Birdsong. We just finished talking to Lisa Denhofer and, uh, about sexual harassment, bullying in companies. It's a bad thing and she's here to help out. Stick with us. There's more on Birdsong. Hello folks, Birdsong back with you. Thanks for staying with us. There's more to our show today. We talked about Jim Crow and President Trump. We talked to Lisa Denhofer. Now we're going to talk about some dumb criminal law stories. I collect these stories from all over the world. Our first story this week comes from Australia. Headline, Caught for Burglary on Cameras They Stole. It appears that a group of bumbling thieves were accidentally recording themselves committing a burglary and getting high afterwards. Surveillance cameras were stolen during the incident, all the while live streaming footage of the bur- burglar was being sent to the owner's mobile phone, said the Queensland police. <laughs> Caught for burglar on cameras that they stole. How about that? Here's a story from Canada. Here's the headline. It wasn't the squirrels this time. Rob Morin and Paul Habib, who live in Montreal, suspected squirrels were stealing their tomatoes and strawberries off their porch. However, a security camera caught the real and true culprit. It was their mailman, who they promptly reported to his boss. Here's one from Ethiopia. I've never been to Ethiopia, but I used to represent a lot of people from there. He was not so much of a prophet, says the headline. A self-styled Ethiopian prophet wannabe was arrested after he failed to bring a dead man back to life. His name, Geta ya wakal Ayele. He convinced a family that he could resurrect their, resu- their relative Bele Bitfu, who. He told them the biblical story of Lazarus, then laid down on the corpse and hollered, Belay, awake! When the deceased Belay did not stir, police were called to help save the phony charlatan from the abuse from the family. <laughs> he was charged by police with abusing a corpse. <laughs> we got some from Florida here. first one says, Crime Stopping. It's been reported that a would-be robber was arrested before he ever set foot inside a bank. Why? Because he was wearing a heavy flannel shirt and a ski mask on a 90-degree day. Tellers at the Hollywood Wells Fargo Bank in Florida saw 46-year-old David Lich ambling up to the door dressed like a robber from Central Casting on a Saturday in mid-July of this year. So what did they do? They locked the branch and called 911. Authorities charged him with attempted bank robbery, even though he didn't even get in the bank. Here's a nice little story from Florida. The headline Good Samaritans, maybe? A man resodding his lawn suddenly had a heart attack. As he was put in an ambulance, he worried out loud to the EMT medics about expecting a fine from his neighborhood association if the lawn job was not completed on time. So after leaving the man at the hospital, seven of his rescuers sped back to his house and finished the work of resodding his lawn. Isn't that great? <laughs> Florida. Headline. Juror to defendant in one morning. It's been reported that Christine Midler, 39, while reporting for Judy Dute while reporting for jury duty at the West Pasco Ju- Judicial Center, was arrested when a guard found cocaine in her pocket, according to a police report. Miss Mitler allegedly confessed to police that she had forgotten she had the coke on her. No, no, no. Don't do that. Check your pockets before you go to court, folks. <laughs> Another story out of Florida. Headline. Cookie Monster Alert. Police are hunting for a sweet-toothed shoplifter who allegedly loaded his shopping cart to the brim with cookies and bolted from the store without paying. The bandit was seen in surveillance footage wheeling away the loot at a Miramar Family Dollar store. Cookie Monster Alert. Mm, Yeah, right. All right, here's a story from Georgia. Headline, Hello, 911. Georgia police recently issued an arrest warrant for William Backus, 62, who called police more than 100 times over the past three years to ask them to bring him milk, his cell phone, a TV remote control, and many other silly non-emergency requests. Cobb County police said all of this, and Mr. Backus now faces charges of abuse of the 911 emergency system. I think he may be a little bit demented. Indiana, hard pills to swallow says the headline. In June, 2018, police sees dozens of bright orange ecstasy pills shaped like President Trump's head. The image of Trump's face is stamped on the tablets along with the phrase, great again. Police confiscated the pills in connection with 129 drug-related arrests in northern Indiana this past June. Hard pills to swallow. (laughs) Great again, huh? These stories are all true, folks. Here's our last one for this week. Comes from Iowa. Maybe he is a monster. A man named King Kong. Really, that's his name was arrested recently for allegedly chasing children and threatening to eat them. Witnesses say that King Kong Chul mumbled he would put seasoning on the children and cut them to pieces. Fortunately, he was charged with harassment and sent to jail. That's where he needs to be. (laughs) All right, those are the dumb criminal law stories for this week. I've got some riddles for you. I'll give you the answers at the end of the show. First riddle. Why couldn't the flower ride a bike? Why couldn't the flower ride a bike? Second riddle, what is the strongest kind of thief? What is the strongest kind of thief? And finally, what do you call a flower that runs on electricity? What do you call a flower that runs on electricity? Well, I'll give these answers to you at the end of the show, but stick with us. We have to take a little pause. We'll be back with you with more fun and information. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. Hey, this is Birdsong back with you. It's been a great show today. Hope you learned some things, got some information. That's why I'm here. I've got a little story for you from Paul Harvey. It's from Paul Harvey's last book. It's called Paul Harvey's For What It's Worth. There are a number of small little stories that he collects, and I'm going to read one for you. This came out in 1980. It comes from What It's Worth department. A woman from Lansing, Michigan was vacationing in Florida. She found a secluded spot on the roof of the hotel for sunbathing. She took off all her clothing to get tanned all over. Within half an hour, the hotel manager was beside her, insisting that she cover up. No, he agreed, nobody was in sight, but she was stretched out on the dining room skylight, butt naked. ha, 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 Oh for what it's worth that that's the story. Now the riddles. Why couldn't the flower ride a bike? Figured it out. Flower couldn't ride a bike because its petals were broken. <laughs> Second riddle. What's the strongest kind of thief? I know you have to think about this. The strongest kind of thief is a shop. The lifter, one who lifts the shop. (laughs) Finally, what do you call a flower that runs on electricity? What do you call a flower that runs on electricity? Well, folks, that's called a power plant. (laughs) It's been so good to be with you today, but I'm going to have to sign off. I've got a little thought for the week. Too often we think that we can impress others. We we too often, too often we think that if we can impress others, we will influence them. That's not the case. If you want to influence others, don't try to impress them. Why don't you instead let them impress you? Think about it. Be impressed, not impressive. This is Birdsong. I'll be back with you next week with more observations, opinions, information, and a little bit of lightness. Have a good week, folks. This is Birdsong signing off.